How's it going? This is Scott Fish. I co-host a podcast called the Commission Impossible Podcast with Ryan McDowell. We don't exactly go over player values or dynasty trades or potential or rankings or mock drafts, and we usually don't even have guests. We just like to talk about commissioner stuff, so that's what you get. You can learn about lots of different scoring systems, uh, interesting rules, settings, how to set up your playoffs, how to determine draft order, how to determine rookie auction values, things like that. Stuff that commissioners might be interested in, like rivalries or rolling bank rolls or salary caps. We also answer commissioner questions. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, check us out. It's a pretty good listen. You're listening to the Dynasty League Football Podcast, where there is no off-season. Welcome back to the 300th episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I am your host, Matt Price. I am back from the desert. Joined with me today is a longtime co-host, Dan Myler. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm great. Really looking forward to our extra special guest for number 300, Matt. That's right. We have George Criticos at Rotohack back with us, former DLF Dynasty host, former PFF writer, former senior writer here at DLF as well. We are so excited to have you back today, George. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Former everything, apparently. <laughs> yeah, former everything, but current nothing, really. Right, George? Yeah, but I see you putting out those nice little graphics on Twitter, though, those statistics to buy or buy these statistics. The first time I saw it, I actually thought, oh, wait, wait, George, that's a typo. But then I looked at the graphic and, and then kind of understood what was going on. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, former everything and current nothing is, is basically me and my marriage, so that's good. You know, no more effort anymore. But uh, <laughs> Happy wife, happy life, you know. But yeah, I think she yeah does I'm, just, I'm in, just sharing huh? out a bunch of data that I collect. You know, it's fun. So, so I, I've been doing that lately and uh, just kind of took the month of March off. So uh, maybe at some point this month, I'll, I'll figure out what I want to do next. That's awesome. We are, we are excited to see anything that you put out. So um, very again, very excited to have you on the show today. We are going to answer a few listener questions for our 300 episode. We thought we'd go back and, and really say thank you to the listeners who have, have really helped sustain the longest uh, running dynasty focused uh, podcast out there. So we really thank you guys for helping us out with that. So we'll start off right away with uh, Tim McIntosh. He's in a couple of leagues with me. I, I recognize that name. Uh, at Tim or Mac on Twitter asks us, what are the biggest changes in the dynasty landscape that we've noticed since starting playing, I assume playing dynasty and where do we see it and hope the industry is heading? I'll throw it to you there first, Dan. What do you think? You know, I'll take the second part of that question first, the the where do we see things going? And, and you know, I, I'm not 100% sure where it's going, and I'm pretty excited about it. We have so many great innovators out there that are always adding new rules and new ideas and, and new league formats and types that I'm excited for the next big thing to to kind of come around as far as the first part of the question goes the biggest changes that we've seen happen uh, in the years that I've been in dynasty, all the things that pop to your head are, are super flex and tight end premium and, and all the fun things that people have done um, to keep leagues interesting during seasons, like offering an extra draft pick to, for, for winning the toilet bowl. Um, you know, I, I really, I really think auctions have become a lot more popular over the last 10 years or so. And, and I really, that's probably my favorite innovation. It's kind of basic and kind of normal and is in a big part of a lot of leagues out there, but it makes dynasty and, and fantasy in general so much more appealing and, and so much more fun that I, I would probably call that my favorite innovation that I've seen uh, come across the pike since I started playing this game. How about you, George? Yeah, I, I kind of took this question a little differently, but I, I but I think it was a very open-ended question, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, you know, as far as the biggest changes since since I started, and I was thinking of it two different ways. One, when I started playing Dynasty, but also when I started writing, which was about five years ago. I think a couple of things I've noticed is, is how much more prevalent Dynasty is in general. I mean, you see it with a lot of uh, 
you know additional players and 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 like dan said all the innovation i think speaks to kind of everyone who's who's getting more excited about dynasty football i also think all the the websites and podcasts and all the new writers and and just all the strategy and everything all all of that to me is a positive in terms of the growth of of the dynasty format in general and and dan you kind of spoke to that and I think it extends not just from the leagues, but also in terms of the content available. Even bigger sites are starting to get more into it. ESPN with with Mike Clay obviously does a lot of work with with Dynasty, puts out rankings and things like that. Pro Football Focus, all these different ones. So I think that's really exciting. I think where do I hope to see the industry heading? Uh, more uh, opportunity to embrace it from from some of these larger sites. Like I think it would be great if if. ESPN or some of these other big ones had more dynasty-friendly uh, league format settings and things like that, and I think that'll come with time. I think uh, having the opportunity to see even more content produced at the highest level, but also just just the continued expansion of dynasty in general in terms of infiltrating kind of the way DFS has, and, and obviously Redraft has been around for a while. And, and to Dan's point, some of these other league concepts, whether it's IDP or auctions or all these things that are gaining ground i hope that dynasty continues that trend as well and i think with all the people who are out there whether it's you know obviously you guys i'm talking to now but but ryan mcdowell and 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 you know everyone else who, who kind of covers dynasty i think there's a lot of good ambassadors for it so i think it just lends itself to that potential growth both from a playing standpoint but then also obviously the, the content and everything else so I mean, for me at least, and I don't know, I'm sure Dan and, and Matt, you guys would echo, I think it, there's definitely more excitement now than five years ago or, or than there was, I think it was 11 years ago when I started playing Dynasty in my first league. I think there's definitely way more excitement now than there was back then. It just seemed like an underground. It was like kind of uh, mixed martial arts when it started 25 years ago. You know, it was like, uh, you know, it wasn't really seen as a sport. It was kind of just more of this weird thing that these guys are doing. I think that's what dynasty football was to, to fantasy football players. And now it's it's much more accepted. Yeah, I was going to go back to the old fantasy football was just Dungeons and Dragons for for, ner- for, for jocks, right? And, you know, this, it's like back in the day when we were playing touchdown-only leagues, it was like we were playing first edition, and now we've got second edition rules and all these advanced rule sets and stuff. And, and the more we get into it and the more content that is produced kind of lends itself to producing these more complicated and, and really more in-depth kind of leagues. So I hope it keeps going that direction. Uh, another, another thing I wanted to add was the whole charity component. You know, obviously Scott Fish and, and Jeff Miller with the fantasy Fantasy Cares and, and how much uh, money we've donated to the Toys for Tots Foundation over the last couple of years through that endeavor. You know, I just hope that more and more leagues continue to add kind of charity components to that and uh, keep up the goodwill and, and keep the dynasty community as a whole as kind of a force for good. So uh, great answers, guys. Uh, let's go on to uh, a couple. We actually have a couple of questions from some DLF writers here. Levi Chappelle at Levi Chappelle says uh, he, lo- he would love to know where we value Juju Schuster Smith. Smith Schuster. <laughs> I do that every time. Uh, whether whether you, uh, you think he has top eight wide receiver potential this year and beyond. We'll go back to you first, George. Yeah, this was tough. You know, I was thinking about it. And, and there's a lot of these young wide receivers who are kind of paired up with older Let's go with experience because, you know, we're not that young either, but uh, experienced quarterbacks, you think about, you know, whether it's Odell with with Eli, which is a little bit of a weird one because Odell's a little bit more of an elite asset, I would say, and an elite talent than some of the others. But you think about that one, uh, you know, you you go down the list a little bit and and you could name others, you know, whether it's Michael Thomas with Drew Brees or uh, Brandon Cooks with Tom Brady and all these other ones. And, and that's the thing that, that scares me a little bit about about Juju is that, you know, what, what does post-Ben career look like? And we know that Ben flirts with retirement every year, and they don't really have a backup plan in place right now, and that's a little concerning too. So the beyond is what I'm afraid to, to kind of say that, that he's a top eight guy. Um, but this year, I think it's possible. I think it'd be tough with Antonio Brown being there as well and, and Le'Veon Bell and everything, but... But you tell me an Antonio Brown injury hits, and, and I mean, you're probably talking about a top three or four receiver, potentially, in the NFL and in, in fantasy. So I definitely think it's possible. I just think the cards would have to you know, play out very, very specifically for that to happen this year. And, I, and I'm, I'm, less, I'm less confident that it will happen post-Ben, unless they really come up with a good a- a option post-Ben. 
You know, you you pointed out something that I hadn't really thought of, uh, and the question was pretty specific for 2018. Not necessarily as much long term, and and there's always the the chance that there's an injury and and he steps into Brown's role. He's not Antonio Brown though. He, he's a he's a way different receiver. Uh, and you know, I, I look at Juju and I'm relatively, I'm really high on Juju Smith. I have been for a long time. I liked him way back when, when he was really popular in Devi a few years ago. And I did my rankings recently and had him at 14 at, at wide receiver, which would be the second highest ranking at DLF. If I put out those, those kind of wide receiver rankings, uh, McDowell has him at 12 and then everybody else seems to fall between 18 and 22. So, I feel like I'm really high on him, but I still feel like his upside is that of Brandon Cooks or maybe T.Y. Hilton or or Stephon Diggs, uh, maybe as high as Keenan Allen, and none of those guys touch where Antonio Brown has been. So even if Brown isn't in place, and we can't say that because he is, uh, and he is going to get all those targets, it's really difficult for me for me to see him bring bring top eight numbers. That said, I love Juju and want him on every team that I have, even with Antonio Brown in place. His touchdown upside is great, even though he's not that traditional red zone threat. So um, if you can live with, with those guys that I mentioned, like Cooks and Keenan Allen, uh, which all of us can, we're really happy with Juju Smith-Schuster. We're just, I, I don't think anybody's setting that bar quite as high as top eight overall at the position. I was just going to say similar, similarly, Dan, that like, I feel like he's, he's kind of maximized his value, at least in his current situation. A DLF, his current rankings has him at wide receiver 17. I mean, at that mid to, to high wide receiver two range, you're talking about Brandon Cooks in there too. I mean, I just feel like there's, it's really impossible for him to, he's like, he's maxed out basically. So uh, I know everybody loves that he's young and you're going to have him forever and all that. But like, if I can get wide receiver one prices for him, I think I'm probably going to sell him at this point. I just don't see that situation changing much with Antonio Brown there. Like you said, unless there's an injury and, and again, it's scary without, without big Ben there. Cause who knows what he's going to be like with another quarterback. So uh, there's a few opinions for you there, Eli, uh, or sorry, Levi, and uh, hope that helps you out. Uh, we're going to move on over to at underscore EJJD. He says, he gave all of his rookie picks away for the 2018 season because he's an idiot. Don't feel bad. I did that in multiple spots, CJJD. <laughs> uh, did that, that is a lot of, on a lot of leagues. So uh, he says, what kind of second-year guys should he be swooping in and relieving from fellow league makes to help them make their roster, make roster room for their rookie fever? Uh, George, who's your favorite kind of second-year, maybe even third-year buys here? We are going to get onto this subject a little bit deeper and a little bit at the wide receiver position. Uh, but maybe talk about some of the other skill positions here. Yeah, it's 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 tough because a lot of the guys broke out last year, you know. So there's a lot of high price tags across the board. I think there are still some values out there, but I definitely think whether it was a full season or not, right? Even a Samaj P Ryan at least had some some breakout during during the last season, and that that inflated his price at the end of the year. You know, I would say. I really like Mitchell Trubisky. I know we, we talked about him a little bit before being on air, and I'm a, I'm a Bears fan, so obviously I have hope and optimism that, that this works out for the Bears and for him, uh, you know, all the moves they made and everything. So I, I, I think, especially in a super flex, that's a great option. And obviously in a 1QB, you know, you can probably get him really cheap and you stash him as a backup and you hope for the best and, you know, you're hoping for a – you know Jared Goff, Carson Wentz type of you know leap, and and be happy if you know that doesn't happen, but he becomes a serviceable starter, a la Alex Smith did you know later in his career. So so I mean you know that's definitely one option. I think if you're you're willing to to shoot for the moon and you say you know what it's not so much about um, the guys that they're gonna they're gonna cut, but maybe the guys that have some some wiggle room for upside relative to the others. Maybe you know. I'm going to say like Joe Mixon is not getting talked about probably as much as he should. And he was the only one who really didn't have like that breakout. If we're talking about second year guys, especially at that running back position, when you think about Fournette, McCaffrey, Cook, you know, Cook to an extent, I guess he got hurt, but, but Kamara and Hunt, I mean, Mixon's the only guy in that group really who never showed that much. I mean, he had a couple of randoms, but 
but that would be the one where I'd say, you know what, if you're willing to, to pay more for, you still might get a discount with some upside there and, and definitely a talent. Um, but, but I'll, you know, I'll kind of pause there. I won't, I, I don't want to give away, you know, other people's answers, but, but I think there, there are some guys, but honestly, I, I think the second year guys are going to be tough because a lot of them already broke out. Yeah. Man, you, you took the words out of my mouth, really, that everybody broke out. But I think that did create a little bit of a buying window for the guys that you mentioned that didn't break out necessarily. Some owners might be sour at those guys that, well, my guy didn't do it. You know, why didn't O.J. Howard do it? Man, I guess he doesn't have it. If he did, he would have put up big numbers like Evan Ingram. Or, or why didn't... Uh, Zay Jones or Taiwan Taylor do it, or or some of these other running backs like the ones you mentioned, Marlon Mack or or Deontay Foreman or Jamal Williams, who had a couple of a couple of nice games, but but a lot of these guys showed a little bit of a spark, but not enough for dynasty owners to get super excited about their upside, and therefore that that value didn't rise so much. So I think if there's one guy that that jumps off at the page off of the page for me, a guy that I was really excited about coming out and really didn't get a lot of opportunities, um, a lot of people might think I'm about to say Zay Jones, but I'm not. It's Taiwan Taylor. Uh, I, I still believe in his upside as a slot receiver, and he was one of those guys that showed his his potential in spurts, really small spurts throughout the season, didn't get a lot of opportunities, and I think could mature in that offense in his second year and take that next step. So if we're looking for cheap guys, and I think that's pretty much the question here, uh, somebody that doesn't have a lot of draft picks to give up or or compensation in that way. So you're you're looking for a bargain. Tywan Taylor is the first guy that I think of. I'll take the the low hanging fruit here and say if if we're talking about especially of a super flex league, uh, but Mitchell Trubisky is probably the, the most obvious choice at quarterback. Uh, you can compare him. Everybody wants to compare him to Jared Goff's rookie season and and what he might do in year two with with the the new coaching regime there. My um, other guy that kind of farther down the list uh, is uh, that I kind of like is, is Matt Breda. You know, Jared McKinnon is kind of all the all the all the everything right now. I guess really, like people are paying mid first for him, um, and I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong for doing so. Um, but if he is, if Shanahan truly is going to have that two back system like he had in Atlanta, you know, he's already called McKinnon kind of like the Devonta Freeman role. Well, that means that Matt Breda is probably going to be that Tevin Coleman role and is going to have some amount of value there. So uh, don't forget about him. Probably can be had for a, a third rounder, I would guess, at this point. Um, I like the Joe Mixon call too in terms of those upper echelon backs. You know, his his ADP is quite a bit lower. You can get him in the middle of the third round as of the March. March ADP data, whereas those other guys are going in the middle of the second round, the Dalvin Cooks, the Kareem Hunts, the Leonard Fournettes, the Christian McCaffreys, and guys like that. So um, definitely good calls there, guys. Uh, let's go to uh, another DLF writer here, Jake Anderson. Here's another kind of a larger scale question. Uh, at NFL Draft Talker, Dan, he wants to know what our personal keys for the offseason are for our dynasty rosters post-NFL draft. So the key part of this question is post-NFL draft. So things really slow down. Uh, but that is when we're having all of our rookie drafts. So the obvious first thing to do is focus on those rookie drafts and really gauge every situation you might come across while you're drafting. So the easiest way to do that is to compare players uh, head-to-head until you come up with a very solid list uh, to go into every draft with. Now, obviously, rules, super flex or not, uh, full PPR versus half or, or no PPR standard, uh, that's going to change those rankings a little bit. But to have a really good gauge on that is the first thing. After rookie drafts, slow down just a little bit, and we're, that's not necessarily the focus. The most important part of being a dynasty owner is to stay as active as possible and move not necessarily away from, but move some of your attention from the dynasty aspect to the regular football department. Um, a little less time spent talking to dynasty guys and maybe a little bit more looking at what Schefter has to say or what beat writers around the league have to say because as uh, the preseason and, and especially as training camp starts kicking off, those little tidbits of news that come out and reacting to them in the correct way are, are the small moves that can make or break a dynasty owner's owner's season. So I like to, to pay close attention to everything going on 
try to stay ultra prepared for everything that is happening league league wide, such as those rookie drafts, and be the most active guy in the league. I think that's the best advice I can get. Yeah, I think for me at least, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what Dan said, and, and one of the things I do as an exercise when I go into these rookie drafts is I like to look at it from from two perspectives because I think some owners are very talent focused and they just pick the best guy based off of you know where their draft slot is and then i think there are people who are a little bit more need focused where they say you know what i'm willing to reach a little bit if i'm that one or two pieces away from getting to a title and so if i need a wide receiver but this running back is 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 ranked a little higher but i can get this wide receiver i'm going to go get him and so i try to say okay well what is it that i'm looking for who are the guys what are those tiers and then which are the which leagues you know as we all play multiple leagues which leagues are the ones where i need to move up maybe a little bit to get that guy i want because i don't think he's going to slip because of need and because of of draft value and then conversely where where can i move down because i know someone else is going to be thirsty for you know this running back who's the last of this tier who's probably going to fall to my pick so i try to do a lot of that because i like to do i i think the maneuvering with within the draft is is key I, I think that's a big piece. Uh, you know, as far as trading, obviously, you can trade when you're on the clock, and everyone says that's the way to go because you know the value's the highest. But the thing is, is when you're on the clock, there's no possibilities really. The same way there is before the draft, where it's like, oh, you know, this guy believes he can get Dalvin Cook at 106, and you know, I, you know, I can move around and, and get who I want at 108 that I prefer to Dalvin Cook. But if I wait until 106 and Delvin Cook's gone, suddenly that trade partner goes away. So, you know, I think there's there's some of those opportunities from a from a you know roster evaluation, trade evaluation side, and then I think there's also the player evaluation side. It, to Dan's point around beat writers and NFL writers, there's always that hype that's going to come out, and and as much as you can get in front of that as possible, I think it's huge. I think those little pieces are are what really can make or break your season. Yeah, those are all, all good points. Uh, I, I'm going to piggyback a little bit there on George and what you were saying. And, and uh, if you have replacement owners that have come into the league, this is a great time to start learning uh, about them and how and how they want to build their team because they've coming in with a team, in, in most cases, an orphan that is in a little bit of disrepair. So if you can find out what direction their team wants to they, they want to take their team, then you can really use that information to your advantage by going out and acquiring pieces yourself that you can buy cheaply and then flip to those guys and, and finding out who they don't like on their team and they want to get rid of that you might want to to, to take part in. So uh, all good all good things there, guys. Uh, one last thing, and I think this is a pretty easy one, but I think even in May, June, July, I think at that point you're probably still uh, best off just acquiring value regardless of what your starting lineup, lineup is going to look like. And then you know once we get into August and, and early September, you really need to start looking and focusing on filling out that starting lineup so um, there's a few things for you jake uh let's go to um let's go to michael martinez here and uh we're gonna do a little bit of rookie talk here guys and we'll go to you george first uh he wants to know if the landing spot is ideal for dj moore is he is he your 103 basically um, he, he says the more he watches the tape and the stats and the more he appreciates his game, both Barkley and guys have kind of solidified at 101 and 102. Uh, but no one other than Moore has kind of answered all the questions for him. So first of all, do you agree is, is Moore your 103? And if not, who is? Yeah, so, so I think there's two parts to that, that question, uh, you know, around the landing spot and everything and, and where he's going to go. I mean, I've seen mocks that put him in the first round. I've seen mocks that put him in the second or third round. And, and that's a huge huge gap and that's a little bit scary uh if he does have a really good landing spot and I'm, I'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head uh but you know if he hits one of those ideal landing spots where he has an opportunity to to play early and and good quarterback and system and everything else I could see him sneaking into that but I also think he's gonna need a little bit of help in terms of you know either uh Chubb or 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 uh uh Sutton or some of those other guys are going to need to land in less than ideal spots too because if he has some of that competition you know 103 is is probably the high end and then you're thinking more 105 or 106 might be uh you know kind of in that range that 103 to 106 range is probably where you go if he's in an ideal situation you assume neutral situations for kind of those next couple guys so 103 is is possible but I think that's a best case scenario for sure 
So who is your top wide receiver, George? Is it is it more? I have I have kind of more is like my one B to my Sutton's one A. I really have a hard time with the two of them because I think more to me has the higher floor and the and the more likely probability of being a consistent producer. Whereas I think Sutton just has tremendous upside, but I'm afraid that the, that that floor is a little lower, and you know a bad landing spot or or you know something else could really set him back and that's what I worry about because he is pretty raw I mean he was a a former you know safety he came into college playing both positions so he doesn't have a ton of experience so he really needs the right situation more so than a guy like DJ Moore to be honest yeah I I think that that's I'm totally in line with you there I think Moore is a very attractive option maybe even the top option if you're looking for a floor play if you're looking like a you know, a Golden Tate kind of kind of guy that can get you 80 to 100 receptions at, at his absolute upside, but probably not necessarily a guy that is going to be a, like a top three to five asset at the position. So it just kind of depends on what you want. Dan, you had something to say there? Sorry yeah, I've had that. a lot of chances to, to watch DJ Moore, and I've become a fan over the last couple of years. He really broke out in his last season at Maryland, which was his junior season. He's coming out a year early, 80 catches, 1,000 yards, and eight touchdowns. But even in his sophomore year, especially towards the end of that season, he started to show that big playability, uh, particularly in the red zone and on the goal line. So, so I've been a fan of DJ Moore for a while. Like, uh, like George said, draft capital is going to matter a lot here. Um, there's a big difference between drafted in the third round and drafted with the 27th pick. And if, and obviously landing spot matters as well. If he lands in San Francisco where it really feels like he could grow up in that offense with, with a young quarterback and, and the sky's the limit for the potential, especially if it's a late first or early second round pick dynasty owners everywhere are going to be really excited about that upside. And I think there is the potential for that. I, I personally have him ranked as my third best wide receiver in this class and, and see Kelvin Ridley as the number one guy and, and Sutton as the second guy uh, with DJ Moore third. But that doesn't mean I'm not a fan. And obviously, I reserve judgment and reserve the uh, right to change that depending on where these guys go. I, I, I tend to trust these general managers maybe more than I should, but I definitely do. Um, and if a guy has that draft capital and is a first round pick, that 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 weighs heavy in my opinion of a player. So uh, I do think there's the upside to go that high. I think there's, there's probably a downside as low as the end of the first round for DJ Moore, uh, maybe even early second round if things don't go right in, in, in the draft process. So we all have to keep open minds as we look at these players and we're still a month out from the draft. Yeah. One thing I'll just briefly add to, to Dan's point around his 2017 season. I mean, the 1,000 yards and the eight touchdowns don't sound that great until you realize how bad that Maryland passing offense was. And you know, he accounted for over half the team's receiving yards and over half the team's touchdown passing touchdowns. So, I mean, his season, while it doesn't look you know as shiny on the surface as maybe some of the other guys that are in this draft class, he was so productive with such a terrible offense. I mean, unbelievable. The guy had, I think it was... Every single game, he accounted for at least a quarter of the team's targets. So, I mean, he was a, an absolute monster on that team. And, and the, the, the surface numbers don't really tell the story. I mean, that's why people are so excited about him is because he was so dominant on a team that was so bad. Yeah, yeah, and he's my. I'm, I'm not hating on the guy at all. I, I think he is a, a fine player and, and will be productive for fantasy and in the NFL. Um, but you know, right now, before we know the landing spot, because I do think landing spot matters a lot for him as opposed to some of the other guys at the top. Um, but my top rookie is wide receiver is James Washington. I just think he's the best in the class at beating press man coverage right now, which is what I really want to see. I think he does a great job at stacking defenders, which is you know where where you can they kind of go up and shield the defenders from the ball. They're able to cut right in front of the defense as soon as they gain separation and, and, and really kind of making the defender commit a, a, a penalty 
if uh, they want to make a play on the ball. So I just I just think his ball tracking ability and all this stuff is, is the top in the class. So that's why Washington is. But even then, I would not consider him at 103, and that's mostly just because of the running backs. And like we've been talking about, it's going to rely on a landing spot. But I just think there's so many talented running backs in this class that I want to grab as many of them as possible. And if we're talking about a super flex league, I, I think it's possible, as we talked in a, in a few episodes ago, that you know there's only a couple, maybe two or three, that might even, might even go in the first round if you start including those quarterbacks into the discussion. So I just think it's a tough year for for those wide receivers not that they're not good uh just that it's maybe more more uh uh the depth is better than it is necessarily top heavy so um good questions there and we are going to actually use that to lead into the meat of our discussion here um i do want to thank all the listeners that that submitted questions and we might have a more a couple more filtering in here as we go through but uh we do want to go to this uh, second part of our, our our episode where um we talked a little bit about breakout second-year players that, that EJJD could acquire. Uh, in the mailbag this week, I had a question asking about second and third breakout wide receivers because, you know, traditionally before 2014, we, we have been waiting for second and third year for these wide receivers to break out, being patient with them t- uh, to do so. But 2014 hit, we got OBJ, we got Watkins, we got Evans, we got Landry, all these guys that started producing right away. And we decided we don't want to be patient with wide receivers anymore. So I thought it was a really good uh, kind of a topic for discussion here to talk about some of these second and third year wide receivers, mostly because of a guy named Nelson Aguilar, because he was all but forgotten last season. In March 2017, his AD EP was 249 overall, which basically means he was only drafted in one out of the six mocks, and that put him at wide receiver 104 overall. So basically, he was completely free. Uh, and fast forward to March of this year, his ADP is at 81st overall at wide, wide receiver 41, almost tripling his value, really. So, you know, there's a chance that some of these guys we've completely forgotten about from the 2016 and even the 2017 class uh, could really pay big dividends uh, uh, going forward. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about those. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you guys this way. We'll look at 2016 first, which which are the third-year breakout candidates, and we'll go round by round here with these guys at the top. George, uh, the the top guys, the ones drafted in round one, we're still really waiting on all of these guys. Corey Coleman uh, uh, drafted 15th overall, Will Fuller 21st, Doc Soxon 22nd, Laquan Treadwell 23rd overall in the first round in 2016. Fuller kind of had a hot streak last season, but otherwise has really disappointed for the most part. And these other guys, we really haven't seen anything yet from. Are any of these guys buys for you or, or potential breakout candidates in 2018, George? Yeah, I think I think there are two. I think Corey Coleman can legitimately be seen as a breakout candidate. I mean, he's going to get the best quarterback he's had, which isn't saying a whole lot with with Tyrod Taylor, but... But he's getting, you know, at least a serviceable quarterback. And, and you know, obviously he has Josh Gordon there to contend with and, and Joku and, and, you know, even Carlos Hyde now uh, to an extent, although I don't, I still don't consider him a great pass catching back, but that's for another day. I think Coleman's a guy who at least should outperform potentially the, the, the price tag that's put on him. He's still relatively young and, and everything else. So so he's one. And, and I would say Doxon's kind of the other guy. I know that they signed... Uh, Paul Richardson and you know Crowder obviously still there. Terrell Pryor left, but but they have Alex Smith who did a really good job last year and and did do a good job on the deep ball, which is unusual for him. So I think there's opportunity for Doxon as well, depending on obviously Reed's health and and everything else. But I, I think those two to me of the four would be the two I'd look to buy. Whereas for Fuller, you know, it's just it's hard to to. to honestly ask people to buy a guy who's who's basically a fringe wide receiver too right now in dynasty drafts uh and and i just don't see a ton more upside than that for him i don't see him becoming ty hilton i be i see him kind of being that that secondary option to to hopkins i think it's interesting that you mentioned Corey coleman uh just because of the addition of landry and and with gordon and the others that you mentioned there there's so many mouths to feed there in cleveland and and what's considered a a poor op or a poor offense to begin with i know they've added a lot of pieces and and there's the potential of tyrod taylor uh adding a little bit of stability to the quarterback position and maybe a rookie uh, adding a lot of upside to, to, to quarterback, the quarterback position as well. Um, I'm, I'm not as high on Corey Coleman as some, but there is definitely a window to buy him right now because many owners are souring on him because of all the, all the other mouths to feed there. So I can see where you're coming from. If you're a Coleman believer, the guy, and I'll piggyback off of what George said that I would choose out of these four. And I, I definitely wouldn't 
select Fuller because the price tag's already high and wide receivers that drop the football give me pause for sure. And then Treadwell, uh, for everything we have seen and then haven't seen for the Vikings, I, I'm going to stay away from him as well. But Doxon's the guy that intrigues me. And, and a lot of dynasty owners might think to themselves, well, there's there's a new face there as well. There, there's Miles Defeat is that that are carrying over with Jamison Crowder. Uh, of course, Paul Richardson coming over. And then the tight end position has sucked up targets for for years there in Washington with Jordan Reed and now Vernon Davis when, when Reed isn't available, which seems like a regular occurrence. So um, although Doxon hasn't shown that huge breakout, big game potential, I still think he hasn't had a 100-yard game and, and hasn't scored multiple touchdowns in a game. I really feel like he has the upside to deliver that kind of that kind of stat line and, and win fantasy weeks for dynasty owners. Uh, I mentioned the drops with Fuller and Doxon has had his fair share for sure. Um, the moves that the that the Redskins have made do not scare me. And it seems like the coaching staff in Washington wants Josh Doxon to be their number one receiver. All that points to me uh, trying to acquire him if I can get any kind of discount. And with an, with a wide receiver ADP of 45 at the position, that seems pretty good to me. So I'll, I'll buy Doxon out of that group. What are you buying him for? Oh, I'm easily sending a second round pick. Any Any second? Yeah, I'd send I send a pretty high second round. Pick. Okay, all right. I I try to I try to send a pick a year from now rather than this year because I I love that class and the top That's of that fair. second round. But uh, I think a high second is is doable. Okay. So where let me let me ask. So so where would you slot him with this year's rookie receivers then? Oh just, boy. Just to kind of give some context. Like, uh, would you say he'd be top five relative to these other guys, or would you say even higher? No, I think top five, it, you know, I think about DJ Moore and, and Cortland Sutton and Calvin Ridley and think, boy, I'd rather have those guys than the guy who's been here for two years and have, hasn't done it yet. But but the other names after that, when you start thinking about Kirk and uh, James Washington, it starts to get a little closer. So if that offer was in my inbox, uh, I'd have a little bit of trouble with it. Um, but those are the kind of guys that you're probably drafting with that early second round pick anyway. So when, when you associate those names with it, it gets a little more difficult. And I appreciate you springing a question on me like that, George, just like <laughs> old times uh, here on the DLF podcast. But uh, I, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd probably say somewhere around five or six. That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little bit outside the top five. I, I, I like Washington more than him, and I'd say Kirk is probably on that level. But, but yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think early to mid-second is probably the price you got to pay to get them. Let's go on to the second round. We have a couple of guys who've done a little bit more in the NFL. Uh, Sterling Shepard, wide receiver – or sorry, wide receiver 35 is his current ADP. He went at the 40th pick in the second round. And the big winner from this class, uh, at least from the first two rounds, is Michael Thomas, uh, wide receiver 5 ADP in March and he was selected with the 47th pick in the second round. I don't really think you can buy Michael Thomas right now unless you're just really willing to pay, pay the price for him. But, uh, George, what about Sterling Shepard? Are you going to buy Sterling Shepard? I don't think so. I just I have a hard time with it. One, because we don't know who the next quarterback will be after Eli. I think with, with Ingram's emergence, I think that, that kind of puts a bit of a damper in Shepard because Ingram can play the slot quite well uh, also. So, so I don't know if... Shepard's necessarily a huge upgrade relative to Ingram in the slot if, if they want to move Ingram around a little bit more next year. So I'm, I'm not super keen on that price for him. I mean, at that point, when we look at, you know, Coleman was wide receiver 40 and Doxon was wide receiver 45. I don't know if I feel that comfortable paying that, that much more for, for Shepard at that point. I couldn't agree more, really. And, and, and I might have a little higher opinion of Shepard than what it sounds George is is uh given us right now i i like him i still think there's upside with sterling shepherd but i kind of feel like the that price for that upside is baked in with him a little bit and maybe that's because he has shown some flashes uh especially late last season uh paying wide receiver 35 so pretty much wide receiver low-end wide receiver three prices for a guy that that you're really hoping for a maybe a low-end wide receiver two upside uh, and he hasn't necessarily shown it consistently is a little bit scary. That said, if I am 
in a any kind of rebuild or a fringe playoff team that feels like I'm a wide receiver three away and, and, and I'm a gambler and want to roll the dice and try to find a guy, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to paying uh, a a penny on a penny for for Sterling Shepard or trying to find a deal on Sterling Shepard. Uh, I'm certainly not going to overpay and and start spending more than what it should take to get a guy that's been around a couple years and has shown flashes, like we said, but never really uh, grabbed the reins, grabbed the bull by the horns and became that guy, which is obviously hard to do with OBJ gone. Yeah, I'm I'm closer to you, Dan. I I, I still have faith. I, I just think I'm a sucker for good route runners, and he's a great route runner. So uh, I'm still in at that wide receiver 35 price. I'm I'm more likely to buy him there than I would any of those first round receivers. It really seems to me, Matt, that owners of Shepard out there are are the the guys who have drafted him and believed in him coming out of college and love the landing spot and all those things. And it's hard. It would be difficult to get him at that price tag. I think if you were trying to buy him, yeah, that's that's probably fair. You're probably not going to get him for a second round, and I'm not going to pay a first for him. But if I could get him from an early second, I'm probably going to go ahead and pay that. And I don't really want to get into the what ifs of if the OBJ actually gets traded, which he's probably not. Right? I don't think we really need to talk about that. But if for some reason he did or he missed a lot of time again, then I could see Shepard's value, you know, popping into that wide receiver two range. Uh, pretty easily. Third round guys, not really anything to talk about. Braxton Miller, Leonte Carew, uh, Gross, they're both undrafted in, in, in March ADP. We'll go on to the fourth round. One of my favorite guys, I still, still, still holding the torch for Malcolm Mitchell. I think uh, I was really impressed that that first rookie season, his first rookie season, his only rookie season, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that he was really able to kind of master uh, the the New England Patriots playbook. And, you know, that we ha- they haven't really drafted a whole lot of receivers that's been able to do that and be productive in their first year. And then he had just, just ridiculous injuries last season that kind of kept him off the field all year. So I'm still keeping the faith for, for him. Uh, Dan, any are you still on with Malcolm Mitchell or are you moving on? You know, I've moved on. I don't know if I was ever necessarily on that train. In fact, in the only place that I ever had him was during that rookie season, and I sold him. Uh, and and it, it was just one of them lucky things where it came up with timing, and it turned out to a really good deal. Now, maybe that you know stabs me in the back later on if, if Mitchell becomes what you think he may. But a guy from earlier in this class that we kind of glazed over was Tyler Boyd, and they have similar ADPs, 107 versus 103. I would, I would prefer Tyler Boyd. I still think that draft capital and the upside that he showed in college uh, along with that, that landing spot, him being in Cincinnati and, and there being the potential for him to, to make an impact in some way in that offense. I'd, I'd rather roll the dice with Boyd than Mitchell, but they're apples to apple. You know, they're really close, 107 to 103. I, I think you're making Nathan Powell really happy with that with that uh, take there. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but George... That's, that's what I go for. I want to keep Nathan happy. <laughs> George, uh, your comments here on Malcolm Mitchell and, and Tyler Board, if you really want to. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a different direction here, and I'm gonna say I would take Leonte Carrillo for both. Wow. Of them. Okay. okay. And, uh, All right. To me, he seems like the one with the best upside shot at this point, knowing that Landry is out of Miami now, and I would say he's probably the the most likely from a a you know traits and and attributes standpoint of being the replacement. Not to say that they will necessarily replace Landry in terms of having that type of option within the offense, but I think this is his opportunity. And, and the fact that he's going undrafted means you can gamble really cheaply to see if that plays out or not. Because if it was Tyler Boyd in, in Miami, I think we would probably have the same thought, right? That Boyd would be that natural guy to, to, to come out from, uh, you know, the, the Dolphins to be that Landry type of guy in that offense. So I think Carew has that chance. Again, I'm not really excited about any of them, but but that'd be the one I probably. So you're not you're not worried at all about Amendola or Albert Wilson. I mean, Amendola is going to get hurt before (laughs) I finish the sentence, and I mean, Albert Wilson they they paid a lot of money to. I just don't. I don't know. I just don't think he's really going to play that role that well. And I think with with Carew, you know, he has great hands. He was a guy who was very dominant in college. He has a little bit more of a skill set in terms of just kind of the variety of routes he runs than a guy like like Landry had. So I just think there's a lot of opportunity there. And Parker's never really showed up either, so we don't even know if he's going to work out. So, I mean, it could be Wilson and Carew on the field. We don't know. 
and and at that point it's like okay I'm, I'm willing to take the shot on the uncertain receiver situation and and that one to me is the most uncertain last but not least let's we got to look at Tyreek Hill real quick here in the fifth round Tajay Sharp was also selected in the fifth round but I, unless you guys want to talk about him I, I think we can probably just assume he's he's buried at this point um, Tyreek Hill the wide receiver 10 George are you paying that price for him with Sammy Watkins in town now Yes, I'm still paying that price with with Sammy Watkins in town. I think that Hill's the number one guy. I think that Watkins has a ton of talent. I just don't know if it's ever going to get realized. And and I'm a believer in in Mahomes. I think he's going to be a a good fit with with Hill. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm willing to pay top ten prices for for Hill pretty easily. Okay. And, Dan, any thoughts on Tyreek Hill? No, I I agree with what George said. I'm not scared off at all by Sammy Watkins being there. And I'm, I'm also a believer in Pat Mahomes. I think he'll push the ball down the field and that benefits Tyreek Hill owners. So I, I want him on all my rosters. I differ from you guys a little bit. I still love Hill, but I think, I think Watkins is going to take a decent share. I mean, I think he's traditionally as, as a traditional wide receiver, he makes a better X than, than Tyreek Hill does. And, and that they could just both, you know, cannibalize each other's production. And you're not going to know which one to, to start each week. Uh, but I don't mind him at wide receiver 10 to wrap up the 2016 wide receiver class though, in terms from, from a, a perspective of looking at it, like uh, which one is going to be a third year breakout candidate, George, can you, can you pick a favorite here? Obviously excluding Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill. I mean, you know, it, it's tough. I think there are a few guys with, with a chance. I, I'm thinking of guys that we haven't spoken of. I think there's a few other guys who, who potentially could have a chance. You know, Farrell Cooper could have a chance to break out with with the Rams. I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, you mentioned Sharp, and, and he's another guy. You know, as much as, as, as you like Taiwan Taylor, I mean, I think Sharp still has a chance to, to do something there as well. You know, it's it's tough. I think a lot of these guys towards the end of the draft have kind of either just kind of failed out or just really haven't hung on to the, the rosters that they were on originally. So I don't think there's a ton of other options. Braxton Miller had his chance, and he really didn't do much with it. So I, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say that there's any others outside of this list. How about you, Dan? Yeah, the guy, the guy that I still go back to, and he still has the higher ADP at 45 among the wide receivers, is Josh Doxson, and I, we already kind of talked about him why. Uh, but if there's one guy on the list that I'm going to buy, it's going to be Doxson. All right, then. So Doxson, you know, that's that's fine. We'll go, we'll go with that as our group. We'll say we'll say play Doxson is our buy as a as a podcast. <laughs> I can't argue with you, know, you too much. You know, like- listeners who, that came to this podcast hoping to get some actual <laughs> names to list for from that 2016 class. You know, it's just gross. I mentioned it's Tyler disgusting. Boyd was my guy as the low end guy. Carew was mentioned by George. You had Malcolm Mitchell. So there's no group think here. We we scatter shot a whole bunch of names across our listeners here. I need I need to ask another question because you guys are Green Bay fans. I mean, you know, Geronimo at this point, I mean, he has to at least be mentioned, right? Because I mean, he's shown some talent, and I know that the the receiving core still has a few guys there. But I mean, you have to think that he's another guy who's going to have an opportunity this year, right? It's interesting. Allison has a price tag now, though. It, if you do a startup right now, it's not like you can get him for really cheap or anything like that. And that is a name that, although I agree with you today, I, I would bet that in six weeks that his name is not nearly as high on Dynasty owners' uh, lists of guys to, to try to add. So I really see the Packers as a team that is, is going to try to add at least one wide receiver. And even if that guy comes in the fourth or fifth round, Dynasty owners will be more excited about him than Allison, I believe. Yeah, I just think they're going to draft somebody. I, I like Allison quite a bit, and if they don't draft somebody, I mean, he, he slots in fine as they're, as they're you know, across from Adams, right? So uh, don't In that case, it's too late, and he's, his, his value goes up drastically, though, if they don't draft that, That's a good point, unless they also move Montgomery back to wide receiver, then, you know, there's, there's maybe some uh, – still a window there. Um, Let's go on to the 2017 class. I think we're going to maybe run into some overtime here, guys, but it's episode 300, so uh, I'm not worried about it. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> uh, the 2017 class, let's get to that. The first round, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross, all guys drafted, 
uh, you know, very highly, all in the top 10 in the NFL draft. Currently, Corvus, Corey Davis coming in at wide receiver 15 in March ADP, Mike Williams, wide receiver 37, and John Ross at wide receiver 65. It seems like all of these guys, again, just like the 2016 class, have a lot to prove, Dan. Uh, which one of these guys would you be buying, and which one is your, your favorite breakout candidate? The, the guy, it's, it's really easy to say Corey Davis. You know, every, everything kind of falls in line with Corey Davis, and he had the big playoff game. And and I agree, it's it's exciting to be a Corey Davis fan. Um, that price tag is still pretty high, though, and I I kind of see that inching up into maybe twelve or thirteen or fourteen by the time the season kicks off, especially if there's good news coming out of training camp in August. So I'll step away from Corey Davis and and leave the leave the easy one for George and I'll say Mike Williams and you know really because we don't know enough about him just yet and and I know a lot of dynasty owners are are discouraged I guess is a good way to say it and and fearful that maybe Mike Williams is on the same path as Kevin White and some of the other receivers that that haven't been able to stay healthy and haven't been on the field but I go and look at Mike Williams at Clemson and all the above the rim catches and the subtle and sneaky hand placement to get open and and all the things I liked about him out of college, that all translates to the NFL for me. I'm excited to see him get on the field. And and yes, uh, he has Keenan Allen to deal with. He he has a couple, he's got tight ends and, and pass catching running backs and all the things in Los Angeles to deal with. But I really feel like the talent will, the cream will ride to the, rise to the top with Mike Williams. Um, looking forward to hearing some good news about that injury. And, and I'd like to see him in training camp right away and, and no setbacks. So uh, there, there's, I, I, I can see why dynasty owners are walking on eggshells with him. But I still believe that upside is there. And at wide receiver 37, uh, I think he can far out outperform that, that uh, ADP and do it relatively quickly. Yeah, I, Dan, that that's basically the same direction I was going <laughs> to Oh, go. okay, you weren't going to take the easy one. All right. Yeah, no, 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 I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think Mike Williams could go up 10 to 15 spots pretty easily. I mean, you can, you can see a path to it, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a certainty or anything, but you see the path, that he could be, you know, a, a top 20 to 25 dynasty receiver within eight months from now, you know, by the end of the season, basically. So I think from from a uh, standpoint of who I would buy, it would be Williams. But who I think is most likely to break out is Davis, and and that to me is a, is a pretty easy one for me, just because, like you said, you know Williams has to contend with a with a number one receiver in Keenan Allen. He also has Hunter Henry to to contend with at least from a goal line perspective, as well as Melvin Gordon, who's a legitimate goal line back. Davis has the goal line back in Henry, if you think about you know size and everything else, but he hasn't quite proven that yet at the NFL level. But there's not a ton of receiving options there, especially ones that play more in the intermediate to deep part of the field. So I think Davis has an opportunity to really seize a major role within the offense, assuming Mariota actually stays healthy for a change. But but I agree with you. The price with, with Davis is just, you know, it's, it's, it's maxed out more or less. I mean, it could go a few spots, like you said, you know, maybe into the 10 to 12 territory with a good year, but... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not necessarily buying them, but I'm not selling them either because I do think the the breakout is is highly possible. Uh, but if you don't think it's possible, then then maybe this is the time to sell, right? Because how much higher is it going to go? But it can certainly go much lower. Yeah, I I feel the same way about Davis. I, I can't buy. I think he's like the the epitome of a hold right now. I don't think you're going to get for him what you want out of him. You paid probably the 101, 102, maybe 103 if you were lucky. Uh, you're certainly not going to get that return on him now. So. Just best to hold and see what's going to happen. Nobody mentioned John Ross. That's weird. Uh, wide receiver 65 in March ADP. You know, we, we've had this thought in Dynasty the past several years that you draft rookie wide receivers and you, and you want to build your team around wide receivers because – because they last forever, right? Their their value doesn't die off. Well, these are three. These are two top ten wide receivers that have fallen, you know, outside out of outside of the top thirty six wide receivers in, in dynasty ADP. So I don't necessarily think that's always true. And I, and honestly, I don't really think that Davis, outside of that that playoff game, really did that much more than Williams or Ross did to to really warrant being ranked 
you know, 22 spots ahead of Williams and 50 spots ahead of Ross. So uh, I'm not confident in Ross at all, but if he's that cheap, you know, why not throw a, a late third round at him if you, if you can get him for that for some reason, if somebody's just done with him. Um, second round, guys, we talked about Juju already for quite a bit, so let's concentrate here on Dan's guys, Zay Jones and Curtis Samuel. George, which one of these guys do you want at their current prices? Jones at wide receiver 64, uh, Samuel at wide receiver 73, and are either of them potential breakout candidates? Yeah, you know, I thought about this because both are extremely cheap options, you know, and, and they were second-round picks it's, and early second-round picks. It's not like they were guys that were, you know, barely in there, and I think most people saw them going in the second to third round, so they weren't huge surprises either. If I'm if I'm picking one, it's probably going to be Zay Jones just because I think the competition is lower there. I mean, they may go a wide receiver. We don't really know yet. Uh, you know, the quarterback situation obviously is pretty tenuous, but but Jones is a guy who thrives on a kind of high target, low, you know, low depth of target type of situation, and he's certainly going to get that from those quarterbacks. <laughs> you know, they're they're not exactly uh, you know slinging howitzers uh, on their shoulders there. I mean. These are guys who, who are going to probably do a lot of short passes, and I think that's where Jones could potentially thrive. So if I'm betting on one, both in terms of buying them and, and also the breakout, is probably Jones over Samuel, though I, I do think Samuel has a chance. I just think Jones probably in the near term has the better shot right now. Yeah, the injury for Samuel is is one that, and we could probably say the same thing about Zay Jones with his shoulder, but Samuel, uh, the latest that we heard is that he had, had surgery for that broken bone and, and he had some ligament damage and nothing really sounded real good. And they, they have a new offense coming coming in. That all said, I think that has affected his ADP and he slid all the way down to wide receiver 73. So I'm going to take the easy way out here and actually say both of these guys. Uh, I see, like George mentioned earlier, I see the path for Samuel. There is the potential. Uh, if we talk about Zay Jones and not having a lot of pass catchers uh, in place there, we kind of have to mention the same thing. I, I, I know with the Panthers, uh, they have Devin Funchess, and of course they have Greg Olson, and he'll be around. Uh, they signed Torrey Smith, but does is any of that really pointing to, wow, number one guy? I know Olson has put up some big numbers, but he's aging as well. So I think there is a there is a path with Curtis Samuel and with Cam Newton throwing him the football and and the Panthers being uh, so stubborn with their offense and wanting to get those quick guys underneath involved. I, I think there's the potential for for him to do to have some kind of breakout. Um, so I'd be buying him. And then Zay Jones, I've I've talked about him enough already. Uh, I actually did buy him for the 35th pick in a draft. Uh, right after the news broke of of the the charges being dropped against him uh, and I think that's a bargain and if you could get either of these guys for the last pick in your three-round draft you should buy them I believe yeah Samuel is is my guy out of this group uh, I got him for just a few dollars out of a thousand dollar budget and a startup that already this offseason so for that price I'm, I'm willing to take a shot on him there and hope that he can be a, become a productive wide receiver three-ish for, for fantasy. So uh, let's move on to the third round. We're going to wrap up here. Uh, there's a bunch of guys here. I'm just going to throw them all at you at once. Cooper Cup currently a wide receiver 28. Taewon Taylor, we talked about a little bit. Wide receiver 79. Ardarius Stewart, wide receiver 110. Carlos Henderson, wide receiver 85. Chris Godwin, who I like a lot, but now that I see he's all the way up at wide receiver 43, might like him a little bit less. Kenny Dolliday right behind him at wide receiver 44. And Chad Williams, uh, you know, there's such a big hole there in Arizona right now, the receiver position. So at wide receiver 116, again, basically free. Uh, you you can't, can't hate that, Dan. Uh, which one of these guys uh, do you think is maybe the most likely breakout candidate in 2018? There's so many. There, is. there. there really I mean, is. You were there going really through is. that list, and, and I can honestly There's more. say I at least like every name that you just mentioned. There's not a guy that I say, man, don't give me that guy, especially when you mention those prices. And, and maybe you, you mentioned Godwin being wide receiver 43 and Galladay at 44. You know, that, that might be enough to scare you off, but, but really – um, those price, they're not crazy. They're, they're not, uh, out of this world. You're, you may have to pay a high second and, and I may decide that the guy I can get in the high second to, rather than these guys, I, I like a little bit more, but if that asking price comes down just a little bit, you get pretty interested. So, you know, I get, I guess if I had to answer the question and, and name just one guy, it has to be Cooper cup. I'm, I'm, 
I'm buying in on Cooper Cup, and and I think dynasty owners everywhere pretty much are. With Sammy moving on, uh, I'm a big Robert Woods fan and have been for a very long time. I think he is the number one wide receiver in L.A. with the Rams, but there is enough to go around and and get Woods and Cup uh, into that top 20 at wide receiver. I really think with Jared Goff uh, manning that offense and that coaching staff and and how much they want to throw the ball and use Gurley to get receivers open downfield, there's enough balls to go around for those top two receivers. If I had to pick one, it'd be Cup. If I had to pick a second one, just because of the the price, and I love Taiwan Taylor, but I'm going to say Chad Williams because, like you said, He's free, and outside of Larry Fitzgerald, is there one guy that you think, wow, he's going to take that number two role and run with it? Um, no, not really. Chad Williams has a shot at that, however. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about Cooper Cup. You guys know how I feel about him. But, Dan, I am going to say right now that I would like to have Chris Godwin at wide receiver 43 over Josh Doxson at wide receiver 45. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's a close one. I, I'm a Godwin fan as well, but it's not like Godwin doesn't have – uh, have competition in the, uh, among that receiving core as well. And a lot of the things that Godwin does well, you can you can say maybe that quarterback doesn't quite as well with Jameis Winston. So there, it gives me a little bit of pause. And, and we're talking about really similar players. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to scream to the hill from the from the tallest building to say that Doxon is the obvious choice. And if somebody's going to take Godwin, I'll, I'll shrug my shoulders and say, "Oh, we'll see how we'll see what happens," um, because it is close. But I'd still take Doxon. George, your thoughts on this group here? Yeah, I guess I'll 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 go in a different direction just so we cover more guys and and everything because I do agree for the most part. I think the the Cardinals are bringing in Bryce Butler, I believe I saw today, uh, which would be an interesting add for them and 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 would be competition for Chad Williams. Not necessarily would beat him out, but but would be competition. But I'll I'll say Carlos Henderson's the one that that intrigues me at that price because I think the the Broncos one they have two older receivers uh, and and they seem to really like Carlos Henderson. Two, they, they they seem to clearly want to upgrade that quarterback position as as you know Keenum coming in, but then also it seems like there's a lot of speculation that they go quarterback in the first round of this draft. So I, I think Henderson could potentially be one of those you know buy him now, stash him for later type of guys. Uh, whereas a lot of the other guys on this list, you know Godwin, Galladay, Cup, even even Taylor and Williams to an extent are more play now type guys. Uh, you know so so Henderson could sneak even further under the radar uh, just in terms of, of being able to throw them into a deal versus maybe some of these guys where it seems like opportunity is a little bit more uh, you know presentable and, and easier to see. Uh, so so Henderson's a guy that, that I'm intrigued with. Um, the only thing I'll add with Cup and, and I think is interesting, and, and I think Daniel did a good job covering a lot of it, it reminds me a lot of what Detroit has in terms of you know, you have two guys with, with Tate and Jones in that case, and, and they're being supported by a good quarterback. And I think it's very similar to what L.A. has with Woods and with Cup. I mean, there's no tight end threat there. Uh, as much as I like Gerald Everett, and I do, uh, he's not he's not established yet. He, We don't know if he's going to stay on the field. They like Higby's blocking pretty clearly. So, uh, you know, and they're a run-first offense, which is the one difference with, with the Lions. But I think, you know, Cup is a guy, like you said, can can – be sustained and I think they could have two top 24 fantasy receivers on an annual basis with that offense and it was something I wasn't so sure about at first but it, it seems like there just really isn't anything outside of those two really to, to go after uh you know production there unless you really like Josh Reynolds or Farrell Cooper or uh I don't even think the good Mike Thomas is there anymore so uh he was too good for that team at the time so yeah I mean I think Cup obviously is the the most likely breakout, but I think Henderson might be one of the more interesting values of this. Group. Yeah, I lo- I love your thoughts on Henderson there because another thing about him is he I think he was probably the best wide receiver in the 2017 class in terms of his open field ability and his ability to break tackles and all that. And, and if there's something that that offense needs is an explosive playmaker, and and if Henderson can be healthy and fit into that offense, I think he could could definitely perform in that role. Gentlemen, uh, before we get out of here, I want to kind of pin down this this group a little bit more for our listeners and kind of play in with our tie in our rookie talk earlier with our top rookie and see where they might rank amongst this group. I don't know if you guys filled out rankings, so I, I did mine. So uh, we'll lead off with that. 
my number one wide receiver from the 2016 to 2018 class is Michael Thomas, followed by Tyreek Hill, Corey Davis, Juju, Cooper Cup, Will Fuller, Sterling Shepard. And then I have the first rookie from the 2018 class slotted in there with James Washington. And I, I honestly, looking at it now, I did this a couple days ago. I think I could put Washington maybe up at seven, but I don't think he makes it into my top five based on the last three classes. How about you, George? Yeah, I mean, the top three is, is probably pretty clear for everyone. I think really Thomas Hill and, and Davis, and if you, I guess if you want to flip-flop one of those in there, I guess that's okay. I would say it's pretty established. I would say those three in that order. That's very clear, and I don't think anything should uh, should disrupt that. And I think Juju is, is probably the fourth guy. It's, it's at number five where I get a little bit shakier, to be honest, because I think you mentioned Fuller as your, as your number five. Six. But I could be, five. Oh, I'm sorry. That's six. okay. Cooper, I have Cooper Cup at five. Cooper Cup. Okay, so Cooper Cup. And then I could I could potentially see a Sutton or, or a DJ Moore maybe slipping into that five spot. But, it, again, we kind of talked about this earlier. It would take a good landing spot. It would take the right situation. And if we're being honest with ourselves, Cup and Fuller are in great situations. So it really would take a lot. For, for someone to sneak in there. And and I'm I'm with you as far as those two in that, that five six range, you know, flip a coin basically for which guy you want to go with. It's really preference. I would say I'd probably have Co- uh Cooper Cup over Fuller, but but extremely close. I I couldn't agree more, really. I had Thomas Hill, Davis, Juju, and I struggled a little bit with whether I wanted a rookie or Cooper Cup here, but but I ended up taking Cup at five and, and then thought Ridley was six. So I think we're all pretty much sharing a brain on where that first guy slots in. It's just who that first guy is, I guess. You with Washington, potentially maybe uh, George going another way and me going a different way as well. So Thank you guys so much for, for being on the show, George. It was, uh, it was great to see you, man. Uh, we look forward to doing some, seeing some more work from you in the future after, after your hiatus. Don't, don't leave us hanging there. Don't disappear. We don't need to lose another, another good guy in the industry. So uh, uh, tell everybody, uh, I guess, where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at RotoHack. Uh, just putting out you know, some different uh, rookie wide receiver data out there right now, just having a little bit of fun while I... Uh, you know, kind of sort through the, the, the lovely professional and personal life stuff, which is always a blast. Uh, but, but yeah, you can find me there and uh, maybe another episode of this if, if you guys are kind enough to have me back on. Anytime, again. man. Dan, uh, how's it going, buddy? Are you, re- you ready to get out of here? Yeah, yeah, let's call our show. We, uh, as much as I'd like to extend the fun with George and finally getting him back, we, uh, we probably got to say adios, right? Yep, and uh, I do want to thank you guys again, listeners, for, for letting us get to 300 episodes here at DLF. That's a really, really cool feat, and it's all because of you guys. I think we got to all of the questions except for one. So uh, if we didn't get to your question, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, and, and we'll, we'll correct that mistake uh, in that format. But thank you guys so much again for listening to episode 300 of the DLF Fantasy Podcast. You can follow George at Rotohack. You can follow me at Pricer. You can follow Dan at DMiler22, and you can follow, follow Follow the podcast at DLF Podcast. Thanks, guys. See you next week.